Quick question as we get started here. Uh, do you know what a knockoff is? You probably do. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines knockoff this way. A knockoff is a copy that sells for less than the original, a copy or imitation of someone or something that is popular. That's a pretty good definition. Uh, when there is a clothing or a food brand that is hugely popular, you can count on this. Some company is going to quickly come around and come up with a knockoff to try to make a fast buck, playing off the success of another, person, another person's or company's innovation. A few quick examples of knockoffs I came across this last week. For all of you who are coffee lovers, you probably know the answer to this question. What is the largest coffee chain in America? It's not Dutch Brothers. It's none other than Sunbucks Coffee, right? <laughs> no, that's not quite it. It's not Sunbucks Coffee. It is actually Starducks Coffee. Both of these companies pretty much stole Starbucks logo with the colors, with the layout, and just changed a few letters in their name and tried to get away with it. Uh, those are not the original, but probably a lot of people stopped and got coffee there because they thought it was. Well, I know that some of you aren't big Starbucks coffee fans. You're more of the type of coffee drinker that likes to have a, a coffee in one hand and a nice fresh donut in the other. And so you probably know what is the largest donut chain in America. It's none other than, ta-da, Donkey Donuts. <laughs> no, that's not quite it. Well, this company did the same thing. They pretty much stole the colors and the, the layout and the font from Dunkin' Donuts and just changed the letters a little bit to come up with a cheap knockoff. Well, many of you, hopefully all of you, brushed your teeth this morning, and that's just hopefully a routine that you have. I'm curious, which toothpaste did you use? Did you use Colgate or did you use Crust? <laughs> Good old Crust toothpaste. If you're able to read the fine print here under the name Crust, it says this. Good quality toothpaste with free toothbrush. Uh, my question is, how did they get that toothbrush squeezed into that toothpaste tube? You know, that's a small miracle right there. Good old crust toothpaste. Well, many of you know that uh, in the early 80s, there was a huge cola war. And you may remember who won the cola war. It wasn't Coke. It was actually a pee-pee. <laughs> Good old pee-pee cola. I don't know who would want to drink pee-pee cola, but uh, evidently the knockoff guy thought this was a pretty good idea. One last example. Sometimes in the afternoon you feel like having a, a nice unhealthy snack, maybe something with some chocolate, uh, something with a little bit of crunch, and then all of a sudden that little jingle pops in your head. Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that cat caught bar. <laughs> no, that's not how the jingle goes. It's more like this. Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that kicker bar. <laughs> so both of these knockoffs were trying to steal some of the sales of the tasty Kit Kat bar. But of course, the knockoffs weren't nearly as good. Well, there's a method to my madness here. Why are we talking about knockoffs? Because today's passage we'll be looking at over the next few minutes, I believe, is about knockoffs. We're going to be picking up here in Acts chapter 19, where we left off a few weeks ago. 
You may remember that when Paul was called to the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it was a dream come true for the Apostle Paul. For at least three years, Paul had dreamed of going into Asia Minor, into the province of Asia, going to the capital city of Asia Minor, the city of Ephesus, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Paul knew well that if he was able to reach Ephesus with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was such an influential city in Asia Minor, he would likely be able to reach the entire province by reaching Ephesus. It would be a beachhead where he could establish a church and reach all the other cities in the province of Asia. Well, Paul ended up spending three years ministering in that city of Ephesus. It was by far the longest ministry that Paul served in any city where he planted a church. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, you may remember we focused on those two verses a bit when we last had that message on the life of Paul. In verses 11 and 12 of Acts 19, it it reads this way. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. That's such an amazing verse. And so as we talked about this a few weeks ago, we discovered that there's a reason why Luke uses the word extraordinary when he describes these miracles. He uses this word extraordinary because we have no record of the Apostle Peter ever being able to heal someone simply because a handkerchief or apron had rubbed up against him. We have no record of the apostles James or John ever being able to heal someone simply because a handkerchief or apron rubbed up against them. In fact, in no other city, as far as we know, was Paul able to heal anyone through a handkerchief or an apron. It was an extraordinary series of miracles here at this place at this time. Here in Ephesus at a certain point during his three-year ministry there. These miracles and exorcisms in Ephesus were nothing short of extraordinary. And what do wannabes do when they discover something extraordinary? Well, posers who are just out to make a fast buck will quickly come up with a knockoff, right? In first century Ephesus, there wasn't a Star Ducks coffee, there wasn't a Donkey Donuts, and there certainly wasn't a PP Cola. But what they did have was an extraordinary set of miracles being performed by God through the Apostle Paul that they could try to knock off and come up with a cheap imitation mirroring. And so these men arose here in Ephesus who decided to do some knockoff healings and knockoff exorcisms, trying to do what people saw the Apostle Paul doing. And what it ended up doing is coming back to bite them. And that almost always happens when someone tries to get by with a knockoff. Well, let's pick up in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 13. Please follow along in your Bibles. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, "Uh, Jesus I know, 
And I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total value came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. May God bless us as we study his word today. Well, I love this passage. I love this passage of scripture. Like many great stories, it begins with conflict and it ends with resolution. It begins on a low note and it ends on a very high note, a real life. And they lived happily ever after story, or at least as close to happily ever after as we get this side of heaven. In Paul's day, Judaism had issues. If you went to the capital of Israel, the the capital city of Jerusalem, we find in the New Testament that both Jesus and the original apostles pointed out that Judaism had issues, even in the capital city of Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders had bought into legalism and, and they weren't loving the Lord their God with all their hearts. The Judaism that God had proclaimed in the Old Testament had become corrupted. And if Judaism had issues in Israel, you better believe that it had issues outside of Israel in pagan cities like Corinth and Athens and even here in Ephesus. Judaism had many issues, and it appears that it was quite common in those days in these cities where Judaism existed, but also paganism existed. It seems pretty clear that there was a strange mixture between Judaism and sorcery in many of these Greek and Roman cities. Judaism was, it seems, often mixed with pagan sorcery. We saw evidence of it in Acts chapter 13. You may remember when Paul was there with his first missionary partner, Barnabas. There they were on the island of Cyprus, over on the west side of the island in the city of Paphos. And Paul was opposed by a Jewish sorcerer, at least that's what he was called, a Jewish sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus came fiercely against Paul and came against the message of Jesus Christ that Paul was preaching. And this Bar-Jesus claimed to be Jewish, but he also practiced sorcery. That's really worse than having a full-time job selling Ford trucks and driving home every day in a Chevy. (laughs) It was much worse than that. He claimed to be Jewish, but he practiced pagan sorcery. So in Acts 13, you may remember, Paul confronted this so-called Jewish sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. And here in Acts 19, we have seven more men who could be lumped into that same category as Bar-Jesus. These seven men, I think it would be safe to say, were also Jewish sorcerers. According to verse 13, they went around driving out evil spirits. They appear to have been traveling exorcists for hire. They went from synagogue to synagogue and house to house and town to town, driving out demons, especially when the price was right. Well, don't forget that Ephesus was a town 
that was steeped in paganism and the occult. And in Paul's day, 2,000 years ago, uh, medical knowledge was just a smidgen of the medical knowledge we have today. They knew very little about the human body and what were the root causes of disease and illness. And so most people believed that the root of most illnesses was spiritual, not physical. That being the case, instead of going to a doctor to get a prescription for amoxicillin, if you had some sort of virus or or bacteria or some sort of cold, instead of going uh, to the doctor to get albuterol if you had asthma or going to a doctor to get Xanax if you suffered from anxiety, they would go to their local exorcist and try to have that demon that they believed was undergirding their illness or their symptoms driven out. And so they would go to their neighborhood exorcist and get that illness taken care of. Well, the Jewish chief priest, Sceva, had seven sons who made a living making exorcism house calls. And they probably had, I'm guessing, some success at it. I'm guessing there were some times they showed up and were paid the money and they performed their little exorcism prayers and the person got healed because God chose to heal them. At other times, I'm guessing they performed their little exorcism right and that person got better because they got better naturally. Their body that God created healed itself. And those opportunists, those seven sons of Sceva, would jump at the opportunity to personally take credit for that healing, even though they had nothing to do with it. And I'm guessing there were plenty of other times when these seven quacks prayed for someone and performed their little exorcism right, and not a thing changed with that person's health. Their efforts failed miserably, but they didn't have a money-back guarantee, did they? So they would gladly take the money and run because these seven quacks were nothing other than snake oil salesmen. Well, at some point, these seven brothers must have witnessed the extraordinary miracles that God was working through Paul. They saw with their own eyes how handkerchiefs and aprons had rubbed up against him. And when those handkerchiefs and aprons were taken to sick people, those sick people were were healed of their illness. And when those handkerchiefs and those aprons were taken to demon-possessed men and women, those demon-possessed men and women were healed. And so they must have seen this with their own eyes because the seven sons of Sceva think to themselves, they've got to up their game. Even though they didn't believe in Jesus, they decided to invoke the name of Jesus. Even though they didn't support or follow the Apostle Paul, they decided to invoke the name of the Apostle Paul when they did their little exorcism rites. You see, for these guys, it was all about fame and fortune. They really didn't care about the sick people. They really didn't care about the demon-possessed people. Otherwise, they'd have a money-back guarantee, right? All they really cared about was their own popularity, their own reputation, and most importantly, their own income. They couldn't care less about Paul. They didn't care about Jesus. Jesus and Paul were just means to an end. These seven sons of Sceva had no shame. They were selfish, greedy, immoral snake oil salesmen, and they were about to reap what they had sown. Look at verse 13. Once they had their payment in hand, these seven sons of Sceva started going to sick people and saying their new magic words. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. 
Well, this new abracadabra phrase of theirs got off to a pretty good start, it would seem. People didn't get healed any less frequently than they had with their old abracadabra phrase, and the people that hired them and paid them to do these exorcisms seemed delighted that they were dropping the names of Jesus and Paul in their little abracadabra formula. And so this turn of phrase seemed to please their clients, so they figured they'd keep using it. And this new abracadabra phrase, even though it got off to a good start, ended up falling flat on its face. There was a certain day we read here where these seven brothers go to a house to drive out an evil spirit. And on this occasion, the guy that was sick actually did have an evil spirit inside of him. In verse 15, these seven sons of Sceva, they make this house call where a demon-possessed man lived. The man must have been really bad off because these seven guys show up together to do this exorcism. I'm guessing other times, two, three, maybe four went at a time. All seven of these guys show up to do this exorcism. And they use their new pat phrase. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. And everybody in the room that's witness to all of this is probably thinking, man, these guys really know how to drive out demons. Man, that's the best phrase I've ever heard. Pass the popcorn. This is good stuff. This is the most entertaining thing I've seen all week. The people are probably captivated and in awe of what these exorcists are saying. Everyone standing there is impressed. But we discover in verses 15 and 16 that the demon itself wasn't impressed at all by what these guys are saying. The demon isn't concerned. It's certainly not intimidated. But in my opinion, the demon did have a pretty good sense of humor. Because listen to what the demon says in response to their little pat formula throwing around the name of Jesus and Paul. Uh, the demon responds in verse 15. Uh, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul. But who on earth are you? Good question. Who are you? Who are you? I don't know you guys from Adam. And then it says the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. All seven of them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I kind of like the demon, what he did in this situation. In fact, God was working all things together for good, even in this case, through that demon that was opposing the Almighty God. Translation of what happens here. The demon-possessed man, he beat the living snot out of those seven sons of Sceva. He absolutely cleaned their clocks. The demon heated that old proverb that you've probably heard before, spare the rod, Spoil the quack. Well, that's a slight paraphrase, but the demon carries that out. Spare the rod, you spoil the quack. These seven quacks were put in their place, and you better believe from that moment on, they stopped tossing around the name of Jesus and Paul frivolously. Even though the demon's actions were not directed by God, God did use it to work all things together for good. When this became, according to verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Long story short, a a lot of wannabe exorcists were immediately put on notice that they better stop tossing around the names of Jesus and his servant, the Apostle Paul. Jesus' name was lifted higher than it had ever been lifted in that town of Ephesus, which led to more believers getting saved and led to more Christians repenting of their sin and growing in their faith. Look again with me at those wonderful verses, verses 18 through 20 here in Acts chapter 19. These are great verses. It says, Many of those believers came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. If I were to summarize these three verses in just one word, I would summarize these three verses with this word. Revival. Revival. Remember, in order to be vived, excuse me, let me say it this way, in order to be revived, you have to first be vived. So these were believers. It's right there in verse 18. They were believers. It's not like if they had died before they came and burned their scrolls, if they had died before they came and confessed their evil deeds, if they had died before that, that they would have gone to hell because they were believers. They were followers of Jesus Christ. They just didn't follow him very well. And so it's not like they were headed to hell, but they needed to change, didn't they? They needed to change. They needed to confess their sin that they had been committing, even though they were believers and followers of Christ. And they had to get rid of that stuff that was keeping them from following Christ with all their hearts. Luke gives us the total dollar amount of the sorcery scrolls they burned. He says it was 50,000 drachmas. That's a lot of money. Now, let's do the translation. 50,000 drachmas. A single drachma was a silver coin, and you can probably find this in the footnote at the bottom of the page in your Bible. A drachma was a silver coin that was worth a day's wage. And so in order to obtain 50,000 drachmas, catch this, 150 men would have to work six days a week for over a year to come up with 50,000 drachmas. So put into today's currency, we're talking about $5 million worth of scrolls that they burned because they believed they were an abomination to God. These Christians in Ephesus burned $5 million worth of sorcery paraphernalia. They didn't just put it in a box in the garage. They didn't just sell it at a garage sale. They didn't even donate it to their favorite charity so that others could be corrupted by it. They did what any Christian should do with immoral trash. They burned it. They burned it all. Well, I want to share with you four very important insights that we can pull from today's passage. Let me go through these one at a time. Insight number one. As long as God's Spirit is moving powerfully in and through Christians and in and through the church, there will be cheap knockoffs. So be on guard. Be on guard. Let me ask you, why did Jesus perform miracles? Why did he open the eyes of the blind? Why did he heal the sick? Why did he feed the 5,000? Why did he do all of these things? Why did he drive out demons? Why did he do all of that? 
Well, really, there are three reasons why Jesus performed miracles. Reason number one, he did it to show compassion and meet human needs. Remember the time Jesus went off by himself on the mountainside? He needed some R&R. John the Baptist, his friend, had just been murdered in prison. And so he needed some time alone. But the crowd showed up and it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And he ends up feeding 5,000 men on that day. Jesus oftentimes performed miracles to show compassion and meet human needs. Secondly, he often performed miracles in order to teach spiritual truths. A miracle never leads someone to Christ, but a miracle may be a tool in God's hand coupled with the truth of God's word that could lead someone to Christ. And so Jesus oftentimes would perform a miracle so he would have open ears to be able to teach spiritual truths. And then finally, the third reason, oftentimes he performed miracles to present his credentials as the Messiah. They proved that he was the the promised Messiah from the Old Testament because the Jewish people understood that the Messiah would perform miracles when he came. Jesus' apostles perform miracles for the exact same three reasons. They perform miracles to show loving compassion to hurting people. Just like that beggar in Acts chapter 3, they felt bad for him. They had compassion for him, so they healed him. To teach spiritual truths, and also they perform miracles to confirm their authority as apostles of Jesus Christ. And so those three reasons were true of both Jesus and the original apostles. But sadly... There are some Christian leaders today whose motives for performing miracles are much different than Jesus and the apostles' motives. They save their most compassionate acts for times when they themselves are in the spotlight and the cameras are rolling. They save their most flashy times of of, of miracle performing for the times when all eyes are on them. Sometimes Christian leaders use miracles to play with people's emotions to get the offering numbers a little higher instead of using those miracles to teach spiritual truths. Some Christian leaders try to manipulate a move of God for their own glory instead of allowing that move of God to point to Jesus Christ and bring him glory. So be on guard, Christians. Be on guard. Be very careful about sitting under the teaching of Christian men or women who are arrogant and self-serving. Jesus Christ is moving in some miraculous ways in his church today. Amen. It's true. Jesus is moving in some miraculous ways. So there are bound to be some cheap knockoffs trying to leverage God's move for their own personal gain. So be careful. Be on guard. Insight number two. Today, most people believe the root of all illness is physical and never spiritual. But don't count out the healing power of prayer and the word of God. Amen. In first century Ephesus, most people saw a demon behind every sniffle and every cough and every sneeze. There's a demon behind it. And that was the pendulum on one side of the spectrum. But here we here we are 2,000 years later in America, and we've swung that pendulum all the way to the opposite extreme. No longer do we believe that there is ever a spiritual root to any sort of illness or disease. We now believe the exact opposite, that all illness and disease can be traced to a physical root. Every virus, every disease, there's a root 
physical behind that. Well, do you understand that both viewpoints on this end of the spectrum and this end of the spectrum, both viewpoints are skewed? Both both viewpoints are wrong. It's not true that everything has a spiritual root, and it's just as equally untrue that everything has a physical root. The Bible makes it clear that the root of many illnesses is spiritual. Bottom line, sin does make people sick at times, right? That's not to say that your congestive heart failure and your sister's asthma and your cousin's cancer all have a spiritual root because they sin somehow. But many of our illnesses and diseases are the result of sin. Sometimes our illnesses are the result of some kind of demonic oppression. So Christians play a a pivotal role in the healing of those around you. You can play a pivotal role. You can help bring physical healing because your prayers at times can make sick people well. The New Testament promises so. And when sinners repent around you and they realign their lifestyles with the word of God, they can experience healing on the heels of that repentance and their obedience to God's word. Because we know that blessing comes on the heels of repentance and doing things God's way. There's a reason he tells us to do certain things. He tells us to do them for our own good. So it stands to reason, doesn't it? If you do things God's way, you will oftentimes experience much better health. So the ministry of the Word of God that you and I prioritize here at Impact every single week can actually make sick people well. Can it? Maybe you've not, never thought of it that way. You've thought of the teaching of God's Word just as feeding your spirit, but the teaching of your God, God's Word actually can bring physical healing as well. Here at Impact, we are pro-doctor and we are pro-medication in the cases where medication is physically necessary for good health. But at the same time, we are also pro-prayer, and we are pro-repentance, and we are pro-obeying God's Word because we understand that prayer and repentance and obedience to God's Word also can bring health and healing. Amen? Amen. Insight number three. Coming to the altar and confessing sin should not be a one-time event. As Christ's follower, you need to keep coming and keep confessing your sin. I think the verb tense is used here in verses, uh, in verse 18, I should say. Uh, really important verb tense is used here. More literally, Luke is writing in verse 18 that many believers kept coming and they kept openly confessing their evil deeds. Although you and I only need to come to Jesus once for our salvation, we need to come to Jesus over and over again to experience a fresh cleansing. These Christians in verse 18 weren't going to hell before they came publicly and confessed their sin. They weren't going to hell before they uh, came and and burned their scrolls. But they weren't heaven-minded either, were they? Uh, Just because... They were going to heaven doesn't mean that they were heaven minded. And the same holds true for you and me. Just because we're going to heaven doesn't mean we're heaven minded. Just because we're going to heaven doesn't mean we're not living like hell. Just because we're going to heaven doesn't mean that we're right with God. 
Just because you walk down an aisle once to get saved doesn't mean you don't need to walk down the aisle today to get some things right with God that you know are wrong between you and Him. Somewhat kind of sobering and saddening to me is the fact that somewhere along the way, Christians have gotten this idea that going to church is going to some sort of entertainment venue. Uh, We get to listen to some good music and we get to hear an inspiring sermon and then we eat some donuts and go home. That's not church. Church isn't about entertainment. We come to church and listen to some great music and hear the word of God, not just so we can say we did it, One of the greatest reasons for which we worship, one of the greatest reasons for which we go to church is so that we can be changed, so that we can get right with God. Just because I was right with God yesterday doesn't mean I'm right with God today. We go to church to get right with God and to get right with God. We've got to keep coming to him humbly, just like these Christians here in Acts chapter 19. We have to keep coming to him humbly and we've got to keep confessing our sin to God and to at least one other brother or sister in Christ because the Word of God tells us to confess our sins one to another. Fourth and final insight. Make a clean break from your sin and burn your paraphernalia. This one is so important. I'm just going to shoot straight with you today. Guys, if you have stashed in a box in your garage somewhere your favorite issues of Playboy and Penthouse, you need to get rid of that stuff. It has no business being in some box gathering dust in your garage. Don't sell it on OfferUp. Please don't do that. And and please don't give it away to your favorite charity. You need to either shred it or burn it. Ladies, same thing. Maybe you have a, a first edition set of the 50 Shades of Grey series. Don't hold on to that. Don't give it to a friend so they can read that smut. Uh, Don't give it to charity. You either shred it or burn it. Don't throw it in the trash can because someone may pick it up and be corrupted by it when they pull it out of the trash can. Get rid of it for good. If you are one of those who struggles with hard liquor and you are convicted by that and you realize you need to get rid of it, please don't give your Jack Daniels to a friend. You know, he doesn't need your Jack Daniels. Pour it down the drain. Same goes for if you've got uh, your uh, your weed paraphernalia, your, your smoking habit through e-cigarettes or nicotine, whatever it is, don't give it away. Don't pass it on to someone else. Don't sell it. Destroy it. Destroy it. Well, in my office here at Impact, I've, I've got a laminated copy of a Daily Press article that came out about 20 years ago. Uh, We laminated and kept it because it was an article that came out in our local Victorville newspaper about our youth group here at Impact Christian Church. At the time, we were teaching the teenagers about being lukewarm, about having one foot in the world and one foot in our saving faith in Christ. We were talking about being lukewarm and not being completely sold out to him and how that needed to change. And so we encouraged those teenagers to change, to repent. We let them know that some of the music they've been listening to 
was filled with lyrics that were dishonoring to God. Some of the movies they'd been watching were full of scenes and, and language that was dishonoring to God. So we encouraged them to come back to youth group the next week with their DVDs and their CDs in hand to destroy them. And that's exactly what they did. The next week, the teenagers showed up with CDs and DVDs in hand. And there, over a large trash can, they destroyed their CDs and DVDs that they knew were dishonoring to God. And then after that, we went into a time of worship. It was an awesome evening. And a daily press reporter was there. He wanted to to capture what was going on and, and write this article. And that daily press reporter happened to interview one of our adult leaders for that youth group. His name was James Brent. And he captured this quote from James that I thought was so good. James said, I don't think I could sit there and read these lyrics to Jesus sitting across the table. Isn't that good? Did you catch that? I don't think I could sit here and read these lyrics to Jesus sitting across the table. I want you to ask yourself a question. Some of those DVDs on your shelf, could you sit there and watch that sex scene in that movie with Jesus at your side? Could you listen to those F-bombs one after the other with Jesus at your side? Could you watch that smut? Could you listen to those lyrics and that music that you like with Jesus sitting at your side listening to that music with you? I think some of us need to do some purging today, just like those teenagers did in our church 20 years ago. We need to do some purging. Maybe you need to destroy some of your music or scrap some of your movies. Perhaps you need to change radio stations or delete some songs from your playlist or remove some movies from your queue on Netflix. Friends, we serve a holy God, and He has called you to be holy. We serve a God who is set apart from sin, and He's called you to be set apart from sin. And sometimes being holy and being set apart requires us to make some clean breaks from things that pull us away from God. Sometimes in order to get right with God, we need to do some burning. So if need be, let it burn. Let it burn. And to God be the glory. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you once again For the fact that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it cuts even to our heart, exposing our motives, exposing our inward sins, exposing where we need to change. And Lord, I thank you for what you did powerfully working through Paul to clearly distinguish the real power of God in your people and in your church, contrasted with the charlatans, the fakes, the posers, the snake oil salesmen that were just selling knockoffs. Thank you for making it so crystal clear who was on your side and who wasn't. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were high and lifted up in that day in Ephesus. And we want you to be high and lifted up in our homes and in our church and in our community and in our neighborhoods and in our nation. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would move in and through us. But I pray, O oh God, that revival would come on the heels of our repentance. 
Lord, it's not a matter of we're going to hell if we don't get right with you right now. If we're already saved, we're going to heaven. But so many of us, Lord, have gotten lazy in our faith and we've gotten lazy in what we've exposed ourselves to. And Lord, we might have things in that dusty box in the garage that we're holding on to. Why are we holding on to that vomit from yesteryear? Lord, we need to destroy it. We need to get rid of it. We don't need to pollute other people with it. Lord, I pray that today we would get rid of things that will serve as a temptation in days to come to go back to our old ways. We don't want to go back to our old ways. We want to focus on the finish line of maturity in Christ and not look back. So help us to do some purging. Help us to bring you glory and honor in all that we do. Help us to stand up for you and be holy and set apart from the corruption of this world. Lord Jesus, work through us in a powerful way for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you joined us for worship today. If you need prayer, please reach out to us. You can call us on the phone, 760-246-4100. If we don't pick up, just leave a message. We'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. You could also email us at info at greaterimpact.com. If you've never made a decision to accept Christ, if you do need to come to the altar for the very first time, I just want to share this with you right now. Remember the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner and you need the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be forgiven. There's no other way to make it to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Admit that you're a sinner and need him. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he is your only way to be saved. Believe that you need to turn from your sin and start following him. And finally, see, choose to begin following Jesus Christ today. As you choose to follow Jesus, one of the first things he wants you to do is to be baptized. Everyone in the New Testament that made a decision to follow Christ was baptized. And more times than not, they were baptized on the exact same day they chose to follow him. And so you don't drag your feet when it comes to baptism. You do it as soon as possible. And we want to help with that decision. Reach out to us. We'll even bring a baptistry to you if we need to, to help you with that decision to accept Christ and to obey him in Christian baptism. Oh, if you made that decision, please reach out to us. We'd love to pray with you and love to help you walk through that decision. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you joined us in worship today. In a few moments, we'll be taking communion. If you've chosen to take communion with us, hang on. Uh, If you're not going to be joining us for communion today, may God bless you. As you serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as you trust in him, love him with all your heart and make sure that you do some purging and get right with him today. Just because you're going to heaven doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you were right with him yesterday doesn't necessarily mean you're right with him today. So let's do some house cleaning, church, and make sure we're right with him. God bless you.